Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast features Peter Burgess, the incoming CEO of the SMSF Association, that is the Self-Managed Superannuation Fund Association. Later this month, i.e. in February, not too far away at all, the SMSF Association is holding its conference in Melbourne, and I'll be there recording some podcasts. If you are interested in attending, there are still tickets available and you can come and meet me and see how the sausage is made in terms of podcasts at least. Uh, I'm chatting to Peter Burgess in this episode. We originally recorded this in late 2022, uh, but figured it made sense to air it now before the conference takes off. According to the ATO, there are around 600,000 SMSFs with around 1.1 million members, and they're managing around $860 billion. SMSFs have always been an area of interest for me not only as an investor, but as someone who is interested in financial planning, is looking to manage my tax or take more control of my long-term investing. What's interesting about SMSFs, however, is that I often thought that they would be reserved for people as they approach retirement, or maybe have a niche focus for people that are focused on businesses and structuring properties inside super and then leasing it and so on and so forth. However, what the data seems to suggest is that more and more young people are establishing SMSFs, in particular, females. And I thought this was a really curious thing, and maybe I'm missing the boat, because I don't have an SMSF. I understand there are significant benefits, but I really wanted to get an expert on the line to talk us through all of this, so who better than the incoming CEO of the SMSF Association? I hope you enjoy this episode. You'll find more information in the links, and the ATO website, the SMSF Association website, are also fantastic resources if you want to learn more. I would highly encourage you to think carefully before establishing an SMSF and speak to your financial planner before doing so, in particular knowing what is required up front in the fees, but also ongoing, and if you decide to close it, what are the implications? Drew and I are happy to answer your questions each and every weekend on the Australian Investors Podcast. Just send a question to us if you have one about SMSFs. We're more than happy to have a go. You can find a link to ask a question in the podcast player that you're using to listen to this episode right now. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Peter Burgess, the incoming CEO of the SMSF Association. Peter, thanks for taking some time to join me on the show, mate. Really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. 
Uh, today we're going to be talking about SMSFs. Basically, uh, we're not just going to do an intro, but we're going to talk about the industry as a whole um, and what we're seeing across the industry because I came across a, a very interesting statistic a little while ago about the number of SMSFs that are being opened by people between the ages of 35 and 45, and it really caught me off guard how big that demographic was for SMSFs, and I thought, well, we just have to know more about this. So I'm hoping you can shed some light, not just on that, but the industry dynamics overall, because we've never actually specifically spoken about them. But to kick things off, I'm hoping maybe you can just give us a little bit of a background into yourself and how you came to be involved with the SMSF Association. Yeah, sure. I've been with the association now, the SMSF Association, for two years. Um, uh, I've been in the SMSF sector for, for well over 25 years, so it's been a big part of my career. Um, the sector has grown quite dramatically uh, over the last 20 years, so it's, so it's been a great ride. It's been a great sector to be part of, uh, to be honest. Um, the, the SMSF Association, I'm the Deputy CEO of the SMSF Association, uh, you know, we've got a key role to play in raising the quality of advice uh, in the SMSF sector. Um, we have an accreditation program. Uh, we encourage financial planners and others giving advice in this sector uh, to uh, to complete our accreditation program. Um, and, you know, that's, that's how we are raising the bar, if you like, for the quality of advice in this sector. Uh, very passionate about people's, um, you know, right to choose uh, what super fund they should be in, and and their right to right to choose the level of engagement uh, that they would like with their superannuation savings. So, so uh, very passionate about the role that SMSFs play in all of that. Mm. I was actually fascinated about one statistic, Peter, which is um, that the net establishments of SMSFs in the year ended June 2021 was actually one of the biggest numbers, if not the biggest number I've seen. And there's been a lot of talk in recent years about how big the SMSF industry is, um, how balances have grown and these types of things. Mm. I'm hoping maybe just to set the scene for our listeners, you can give us a sense of how big the SMSF market is, not just from an individual like member level, but also maybe assets and just whatever you've got for us. Yeah, so the SMSF sector currently is uh, around $865 billion. Um, it, it's representing around 25% of total superannuation assets. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story. The, the proportion of total assets that SMSFs represent has actually been declining uh, over the last five or six years. And uh, it's now around 25% or 26% around that mark. It has been over 30%, uh, you know, five or six years ago. We think this is a trend that's likely to continue, that we will start, you know, see a decline uh, in the SMSF assets as a proportion of total super assets. And the reason we say that or the reason we think that is because um, uh, there's a lot of very big SMSFs, uh, mega funds, we call them. So, and there's been a bit of talk about these these funds, these funds with $50 million and $100 million. Uh, and, of course, the government's, you know, floated the idea of capping some of those balances. But even if the government decides not to do that, uh, it's inevitable that those uh, those funds will come out uh, at some point. As those members pass on, uh, those funds will need to pay a death benefit. Uh, and there's no way to replenish those amounts uh, because we have contribution caps. So it's inevitable that over probably over the next two decades mm -hmm. that we'll continue to see SMSFs as a proportion of total superannuation assets decline. Um, but what I would say, don't be fooled into thinking that we are witnessing the decline 
of the SMSF sector, uh, because when you look at the number of funds that are being established, it's very strong. Uh, we're seeing very strong growth, and you touched on it uh, just a moment ago in terms of the really strong growth that we've seen uh, since 2000. Uh, and 21, uh, and we are continuing to see strong growth uh, in fund establishments. That's um, not surprising when, when we have times of market uncertainty like we're seeing and, and volatility, uh, it's not unusual to see a spike in the number of establishments like this. Uh, it, we, people tend to you know, bring things closer to home uh, and they want to take more control in times of uncertainty. So it's not unusual to see uh, a spike in SMSFs like we we're experiencing now. Um, from our perspective, you know, that does create some challenges for the industry. Uh, we, we don't want people uh, to be setting up SMSFs uh, as perhaps a knee-jerk reaction to what they perceive to be the poor full performance of their APRA fund, for example, uh, unless they've got a plan as to how they're going to do better in a self-managed super fund where they could perhaps, you know, possibly be worse off in retirement. So from the SMSF's association perspective, uh, we don't get any joy out of seeing a spike in establishments. Uh, where we do get joy is knowing that these individuals that have established SMSFs have done so off the back of licensed professional advice uh, from someone that has a deep understanding of the benefits and the risks of an SMSF. Mm. Um, so I think what we will see over the next, uh, uh, you know, uh, 10 years maybe is, is a, a, a continued decline in SMSF assets as a proportion of total assets, but we'll continue to see an increase in the proportion of the population that actually are members of self-managed super funds. I was in preparation for this episode, Peter, I was actually looking at the numbers because the ATO publishes quite granular data on this. And I noticed that the, the proportion of funds with greater than $50 million is less than 0.1%. So it might be like one of those things, at least from the surface, it seems, in my opinion, it may be one of those things that's very easy to make political, but um, at the same time, you know, there aren't that many in that bucket. So a lot of people are seeking out SMSFs for the probably what I would say is like genuine reasons for a bit more control value creation uh, and less maybe so about the you know, trying to find loopholes and putting heaps of money in one of these things and, and so on and so forth. How about the 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 rise? So you talked about like, a, we talked about establishments there now uh, briefly. How about the increase in, in things like platform-based uh, SMSF creation? Because I know from my side of the fence, Peter, which is brokers and, you know, there's what we would traditionally call discount on loan brokers or what are now commonly called just brokers, are seeing this as an opportunity to connect directly with investors. Obviously, they have their incentives because if they can get if they can help manage someone's help manage someone's SMSF, then it's good for them. But is that playing a role? Do you think in the growth of of funds? Yeah, look, I, I think it is, Owen, and you, and you did touch on it before when you talked about the younger demographic establishing self-managed super funds today. Uh, it really is quite a remarkable story. Uh, when we look at where the growth is coming from in the SMSF sector, it's really coming in that cohort, that uh, you know, 35 to 45 cohort, that uh, Generation uh, X, I think it is. Yeah, uh, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, it's, um, it, that's where the growth is coming from. Um, you know, and it, it's 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 not something that's just happened over the last 12 months. It's something that we've seen now uh, over the last decade. And in fact, today, almost 33% of all self-managed super funds that are being established are being set up by individuals in that particular age cohort. Wow. 
Um, so, you know, I think if you think what, 2019, there was about 22,000 funds. So 7,000 of those funds were set up by individuals in that cohort. So, so what we know about that cohort is that they are heavy consumers uh, of online content. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they're used to getting their information online. They now have access to more information about self-managed super funds than they've ever had before. Uh, it's easier to set up an SMSF than it's ever had before. Uh, they're feeling more confident and more empowered. Uh, they have the information they need, and that's, you know, it goes to the online brokers and, and things like that, where they're now accessing those type of services in order to be able to set up an SMSF and to do the trades and so forth. Mm. I think one of the, the, the impediments to growth in SMSFs, and I, I'm not the only ones, I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel by saying this, has always been this idea that there's always been like minimum thresholds that people should meet in terms of balances because of the costs involved, Peter, you know, the costs of uh, various professionals, as you say, you want people to do it correctly, of course. Can you give us a sense of what goes into managing an SMSF for those listeners who haven't had exposure to this, um, maybe you can kind of step us through that process and what we could expect. Yes, yeah, so I guess just in the question about how much do you need to have an SMSF, we, we've actually done quite a bit of work uh, around this area. So earlier this year, uh, we did release some research that the University of Adelaide did on the performance of the SMSF sector. Uh, they, we were able to provide them with a, a massive sample uh, of, uh, of SMSFs. It was over 300,000, about 318,000 self-managed super funds that we were able to give uh, the university data uh, to do some research on. So that's more than 50% of the entire self-managed super fund population. So a massive data sample that we're working with. And, and what they found is that SMSFs typically uh, reach a critical mass at balances of 200,000. So once the fund has reached that level, from an investment performance point of view, they have reached a critical mass, so scale. Um, so mm -hmm. the research found that, uh, you know, uh, leading up to that balance, if you've got less than $200,000, your performance is compromised in an SMSF because you just don't have the scale and the costs sort of eat into your return. Once you reach that level, your performance is just as good uh, as a fund with a much larger balance. Uh, and that sort of complements other research, which we've um, been part of in, in previous years. Rice Warner did some research a few years ago. It was released back in 2020 on the operating costs of a self-managed super fund. Uh, we asked them to update the research that they had done for ASIC back in 2013 on the cost of operating a self-managed super fund. And that was really interesting because that found a very similar figure. At $200,000, an SMSS uh, because is just as cost-effective as an APRA regulated fund. So everything's sort of pointing to that $200,000 threshold as the, the, the amount of money uh, that you need to, you know, to make an SMSF viable. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that it's the right option for you. Uh, there are many other factors to consider. Sure. But in terms of having the, the, you know, the required amount of capital to, to make it viable, $200,000 is, is the threshold. Um, I think in, in relation to your question about what's involved, well, yes, we, we need to set up your fund. So there is uh, the need to obtain a trust deed and to set the, the trust up. Uh, once it's in place, uh, you need to have an account. Uh, you need to open up a bank account so you can start to uh, receive contributions and so forth. And from there, you can start to trade. Um, there is a requirement to uh, to keep ongoing records. Um, so there's some administration work behind all this. And of course, every year your fund has to be audited uh, by an SMSF approved auditor. Uh, the law also requires you to, to, uh, to have a set of accounts uh, prepared every year for your fund. So there's a bit of, you know, administration work goes behind all this. 
Um, but essentially, that's what's involved, you know, setting the trust up, getting your trustee, setting up your bank account. Uh, there are certain declarations. There's a trustee declaration that you have to sign. Uh, you don't need to submit it to the ATO, but you can need to keep it on file. And from that point on, it's, it's a matter of keeping proper records um, and also uh, making sure that you, you know, get the fund audited annually and so forth. Yeah, it's... um. I think I would just, for, for any listeners, I would just, just uh, caution you to pause for a moment um, while we talk about SMSFs to learn what you need to learn and to understand all the things that Peter just mentioned. There are some resources. We just spoke off air, Peter, about uh, SMSF Connect, which is a place where people can go to learn more about SMSFs generally. There's obviously the ATO website as well. And uh, for professionals, you can go straight to the SMSF Association website. Um, and I would caution people just to be just to be mindful of what's involved and make sure that you do feel fully informed when you have that conversation and speak to your financial advisor. Um, given that we know kind of the hurdle there, Peter, I'm curious as to what you think is driving the uptake, other than say what we've seen since COVID, which is this bit of a, a wash through, what is driving the structural growth in SMSF establishments? So maybe this is related to point two, you know, where we talked about, um, I guess, younger demographics, but is there anything else that t- seems to be driving people? Well, look, most of the growth seems to be coming from that demographic. Um, and so, um, you know, it's 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 access to information. As I mentioned before, they have uh, access to more information than they've ever had before. Um, it's easier for them to trade than it has been before. Easy for them to set up a self-managed super fund. So they're feeling more confident. They're feeling more empowered. You know, we think that's a big driver uh, that we're seeing in the growth of SMSFs uh, right now. And uh, as I mentioned, the uncertainty as well, the volatility in markets is also playing its role uh, in, in more people sort of setting up self-managed mm-hmm. super funds. Um, business owners, uh, you know, that's always, SMSFs has always been a popular option for small business owners in particular because of the ability to uh, to put your business premise in your SMSF and lease it back. So there's good, um, you know, strategies you can do with that. So, and we've seen uh, quite a big increase in uh, in commercial properties in SMSFs in recent times. The other growth area where we look at the asset allocation of SMSFs is around ETFs. Uh, so there's been a big increase in the value of managed funds and listed trusts uh, in SMSFs. We think a lot of that is actually ETFs. Um, so that's been a popular investment vehicle for SMSFs in recent times. ETFs, of course, allow SMSFs investors to access markets that they may not otherwise be able to do. So um, that's been a popular you know, choice as well. So there's been a few things that have been sort of driving the growth of SMSFs in recent times. Mm. You know, from my side of the fence, Peter, um, wearing my investment advisor cap for a moment, the proliferation of ETFs has been incredible for many different types of investors. And one of the, the reasons for that is uh, – simply the diversification that comes through a single exchange if you're focused on the ASX. You can get exposure to anywhere in the world and it's diversified typically in low cost. Not always, but typically. Um, so I can see why that would be so popular amongst the SMSF community. Uh, I guess the, the natural question, therefore, is, so say, for example, if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, well, you know, I've been investing for quite some time, I'm interested in... Uh, you know, exploring this as an option for me because I think I can, I have a good, decent balance. Um, I think that, you know, maybe I can use an SMSF in a way that's effective for me. Where would people go to get that type of advice? And specifically, you mentioned small business there. That's a key passion point of mine. Where would they be going? Is that a typical financial advisor or...? 
Yeah, look, it's, it is a specialist area. So this is one of the things the association has worked very hard on over our 20-year history, and that is uh, setting standards for advisors, giving advice in this area and encouraging advisors to do our accreditation program. Uh, that's evidence that they have the competencies to give advice in this area because it's it's very different to giving advice to our client around a, a retail superannuation product. When you start talking about self-managed super funds, uh, you're asking your client to take on the role of a trustee. So uh, they need to understand the roles and responsibilities of a trustee. It's very hard for advisors to explain that if they don't know it themselves. So um, we, on our website, we have uh, listed all the advisors who have accredited, uh, accredited through us, have our, have our specialist accreditation designation. Um, so that's a good start, I think, for uh, the clients to be uh, making sure that if they are getting advice uh, they're getting from a licensed professional who uh, is a specialist in this area because, as I said, it is a, it is a specialist area. Mm. And so this is on the SMSF Association website. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, or is this find, yep. a, uh, find a specialist. I think there's a, there's a search engine there that you can uh, find a specialist in your area. Um, yep, so we've listed there those advisors who have completed our accreditation program. Um, so they're the ones that have those special skills, specialist knowledge in this area. As I said, it is, uh, it is a specialist area. It's not just about the roles and responsibilities of trustees, but it's also understanding the investment rules, uh, what SMSFs can and can't do when it comes to investing. Uh, that's also a very important part of it. If Just related to the point before, Peter, if, so if I was to go see someone like this, do, do you find it's often the case that the advisors are giving advice just on SMSFs or do they, is it, you know, through scale device or something like that? Or do people typically go to these advisors and it's part of a more of, I guess, the statement of advice, the full banquet that they run through everything with them? Yeah, look, it, it does vary. Uh, most of our members who are professional, who have the accreditation, don't just specialise in self-managed super funds. Uh, they have other clients as well. So, you know, they'd have a client base consisting of clients in industry funds and retail funds, as well as self-managed super funds. Um, you know, nowadays, I think it's if you are giving advice to clients about superannuation strategies, um, it's it's very hard to do that without having some knowledge of self-managed super funds, uh, particularly for that younger demographic who want to have that conversation. That's what the statistics are telling us, that more and more of those individuals want to have a conversation uh, with a professional um, about an SMSF. So um, it's important that advisors have a deep understanding of the benefits and risks. Uh, not just a you know a, a basic understanding, but they have a, a deep understanding of the risks and benefits of a self-managed super funds because that's the conversation that uh, a lot of the a lot of these younger generations, when they do seek advice about self-managed super funds, that they want to have with a licensed professional. Yeah, and I would also say to anyone listening that goes down this path, just to ensure that your advisor is weighing up all of the options for you and can answer the question. So why am SMSF? Why stick with my current fund, etc. Uh, actually, be, don't be afraid to ask the questions um, of your advisor and, and get answers because it's your money. Uh, one of the f final questions that I've got here, Peter, is just around, uh, I guess, regulatory change. As someone who studied financial planning and um, works in an office full of financial planners and, and speaks to investors daily, um, I, I often get a lot of questions on regulatory change, not just for SMSFs, but also across the board, whether it's tax, whether it's industry super funds, you name it, there's some sort of change going on somewhere, a proposal somewhere. How do you see some of the changes? Uh, you mentioned at the top of the show there, maybe with those larger balances, but are there any changes that you're mindful of in the regulatory landscape or things that you're 
keenly watching? We're recording this at the end of November 2022, by the way. Yes, yeah, so there's been some suggestions. Some, um, uh, you know, the government has floated the idea. I think of having a capping some of those larger superannuation balances. So we expect there will be more conversation about that in uh, in 2023. Um, we uh, don't support a cap on superannuation balances. We understand the conversation. We understand the issue, um, but uh, it really is a legacy issue um, that a lot, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that these large mega funds will find their way out of the system. Perhaps not in a timely as timely uh, as what the government would like, but it will happen. Uh, the other thing is forcing amounts out of the fund, such as a self-managed super fund, can have some knock-on adverse consequences uh, to perhaps the other members left in the fund who may not have a large balance. So there's a lot of issues to work through if we're going to move to a hard cap that requires amounts in excess of that cap to be cashed out of the superannuation system. How are those amounts going to be taxed? You know, what about the other members in an SMSF who may not have a balance in excess of that balance? They may be adversely impacted by the fund's need to sell a property, for example, in order to be able to cash out that money. So there's a lot of issues there that need to be worked through. So we're keeping a close eye on that particular issue. Um, the other one is uh, the freezing of the transfer balance cap. There's been some discussion around that. Uh, that's something that we were watching. The transfer balance cap is due to be indexed from 1 July next year. Um, but, uh, you know, there's been some sort of rumours that, that may be, uh, may be uh, um, frozen at the current levels. Uh, and, of course, the other one is franking credits. Um, yep. Aside from what was announced, that, that change that was announced in the budget, we're not expecting to see any further changes to the franking credit system. And we were very pleased to see the Minister's uh, speech recently that uh, they're not looking at revisiting the franking credit system. Uh, it's a good system and it served Australia well. So we don't certainly don't support any changes being made to that uh, uh, the franking credit system. Yeah, I had um, Jeff Wilson from Wilson Asset Management on the show not too long ago, Peter, and um, obviously a pretty strong advocate um, for keeping franking credits where they are, and um, I, I certainly appreciate it from that side of things. Um, how about in terms of, so you mentioned for small business owners, and for anyone that's listening, uh, Peter did also mention something else about multiple members inside a fund. You can have, if I'm not mistaken, Peter, up to six members inside a single SMSF. So that's, you know, it's most common for two or single person uh, SMSFs, but you can have up to six. So that's something to keep in mind and ask your advisor about. But um, you mentioned small businesses before, um, and people may not necessarily understand this jargon, but a limited recourse borrowing arrangement or LRBI, I think I got that correct. correct. Um, if a lot of people with small businesses make use of this because it is, as you say, a way to hold an asset and to lease that back into this myself. Has there been any talk about that? Because that's probably an area of concern for people as well, or potential concern. Yeah, so in, in terms of, uh, of burning LRBOs, uh, it, yeah. it, it was one of the proposals that Labor took to the 2019 election. They had uh, a few superannuation proposals and one of them was that they uh, would ban LRBOs. Uh, they didn't take that to the uh, the most recent election, so it doesn't appear to be uh, their policy. Um, but, you know, um, it is, and, and we just recently had the report from the, uh, the Council of Financial Regulators uh, that handed down their review of LRBOs. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. They concluded that they, they didn't see it causing a, a material risk to the superannuation system uh, or the broader financial si uh, services si system. So, um, you know, we're not expecting uh, to see changes in that area. Uh, from our perspective, uh, it, it, 
he doesn't pose a, a risk to the uh, to the broader uh, sector, and it is serving a purpose in terms of uh, you know small business owners is allowing them perhaps their fund to borrow uh, funds uh, and transfer that business premise into their fund. So um, you know we think there are, there there's merit uh, in allowing our RBAs to remain. Mm. I uh, had a fantastic conversation recently um, with a guy called Andrew Henshaw, who's the MD of a legal business down here. It's over on our other podcast, the Australian Business Podcast. And he was saying that he works with a lot of small business owners and a lot of them have SMSFs. Um, also, a lot of them have industry funds and all the like as well. But um, he was basically saying that it can be a fantastic tool from a tax and, and legal yeah. perspective. So uh, if anyone is listening to this, uh, and is being introduced to SMSFs for the first time. There are a handful of resources that I will send you to. One is the SMSF Association, where you can um, visit and you can find a, a financial advisor. Um, another one is SMSF Connect, which Peter and I mentioned. The ATO website, and I would uh, I will throw out some uh, ideas for direct financial advisors' websites who are accredited and specialise in this. So go and check out the show notes if this is a path you want to go down. Uh, Peter, this is actually our first conversation, other than my co-host on the series, who's a financial planner, saying that he has an SMSF for his investments and an industry fund for his insurance. This is the, the first proper conversation we've had, and it's a great exploration of what's going on. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me on the show today. Pleasure, Alan. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.